And the ball is rolling. Welcome to another episode of the Blues Brothers podcast, the show that discusses all things football and, of course, Chelsea FC with questions, debates, discussions and deliberations for your viewing pleasure made by the fans for the fans. And Charlie, I'm very excited to discuss what just happened last night. Without doubt, probably one of the, well, one of the best results we've had this season. If you top it up with the uh, Another great result we had in Spain when we beat Sevilla. We team, seem to be the kings of Spain, and I don't think anyone anticipated getting a result that we did last night. So I'm not going to waste any more time, Charlie. The floor is yours. 1-0 win away at Atletico Madrid in the first leg of the last 16 of the Champions League final. Uh, Champions League final. Champions League last 16. Talk to me. Yeah, mate, you did, did so well there, mate. Almost got through the oh, intro no. blunder-free blund, and then a little slip-up at the end there. Yeah, mate, honestly, last night, um, great result for us. I mean, really excited by it. Um, it was probably, I have to say, I was not expecting it at all. Um, I think in our pre-match predictions, we, you know, we both said we were, we were going to lose. Um, I did fancy us to get a goal, but I didn't think we were going to keep him out at the other end. So... Yeah, I mean, to get the 1-0 win away from home and to take something back to Stamford Bridge has given us a really, really good chance. In terms of the game itself, um, the lineup, um, I mean, no, not really any complaints with that at all, to be honest. I think the only decision he really had to make was whether it was going to be Christensen or Zuma. And I will hold my hands up. I've been quite critical of Christensen. I still don't really think he's good enough and I prefer Zuma. But credit where it's due last night, he, he did really well. Um, and in terms of any other selections, I mean, there's a possibility maybe might have seen Rhys James at right wing back with Hudson Odoi pushed further forward, but we didn't see that. And the game itself, you know, apart from a shaky first few minutes, you know, where we had a bit of a poor touch from Mendy, which almost let them in for a goal. Um, to be honest, mate, we kind of dominated the game. We had a lot of possession. I mean, that seems to be a bit of a feature under Tuchel at the moment. It seems to be a possession based. Uh, style of play and whilst we first half we didn't really create anything other than a few shots from distance um, we weren't really troubled at the other end at all and you know it was it it was a it was a perfect European away performance really Um, second half again you know not didn't really do a lot no clear-cut chances but we obviously get a bit of magic from Giroud with the bicycle kick. Um, I was a little bit worried with the VAR, um, but after sort of two to three minutes, that was confirmed. And do you know what, mate? I think we thoroughly deserved it. Um, you know, we were good, but I think there's also um, room for discussion at the fact that Atletico Madrid were really, really poor. I mean, I liken it to Spurs away where we were expecting a really tough game and we didn't get it. Um, they just didn't turn up. Uh, I was surprised that I know they've got a few players out missing, but I was surprised they kind of matched up with us and went three at the back. I don't think I've really seen many Atletico Madrid sides go three at the back, but they were just toothless, mate. They did absolutely nothing. Um, Mendy didn't even have a save to make, one of his quietest nights in goal for us, and they had no attempts on target. So, what on paper we were expecting to be a really tough test, in reality, it was fairly straightforward. I know we didn't create a lot and, you know, it took a moment of individual brilliance and our lack of creativity is a bit of a concern given all the talented attacking players we have. But I think it couldn't have gone any better last night. The only thing that could have been better, I suppose, was was to get another goal. But 
you know, we've given ourselves a big, big chance. So, yeah, I'm really happy with that. I don't know what your thoughts are, mate. Well, I think it's time to just probably not look too much into it and just praise Chelsea. We, we tend to have a lot of episodes where there's ifs and buts and, you know, what could have been better? Do we understand? Do we understand the team in terms of performance-wise and where we're heading? And, you know, let's just take it in isolation. We've beaten a side that I think a lot of people going into that game didn't give us a hope, a chance, you know, a hope at all, myself included. Very surprised we got the clean sheet. Even more surprised that we got the win. I agree with your comments about Atletico Madrid and, and how they matched up with three at the back. And I know they're a very defensive operating side, but looking at how vulnerable Chelsea are, I mean, recent form suggests otherwise, but that we were there for the taking. I mean, we were missing our best player as well at the back in terms of Thiago Silva. So I was I was just surprised as anyone about, you know, the lack of creativity up top, the fact that they kind of didn't really create anything clear cut you know, when you've got players like Christiansen, you know, Mendy coming back in. So I was surprised that you know, someone like Suarez didn't do anything in the game, frustrated. And they probably would have taken a nil-nil as well. And I think they would probably set up not to lose the game. And like you said, mate, a bit of individual brilliance. And I want to draw our attention to that now because where does that rank in terms of great European nights for Chelsea and the goal itself? I mean, we're going to bring. I'm going to discuss Shearer in a minute, but talk to me in terms of the great European nights for Chelsea. Where, where does this rank? This win. Um, look, I think it's important for us not to get carried away. It is only a last sixteen match, so in terms of great European nights, I probably wouldn't say. Look, it was a great performance. I'm not sure it was a great European night. You know, we haven't got through the tie yet. And one thing I will say, mate, I didn't realise our Champions League record in the last few years have been dreadful. Like for the last four seasons, we haven't got past the round of 16. And sort of for the quality of players we have and, this, and our club stature, we've been really poor in Europe over the years. I know we won the Europa League in, in 2019, but, you know, I think it's really important that we try and get a little bit further in Europe. Because as I said, four years getting knocked out consecutively at the round of 16 is not really good enough. But... Um, yeah, for me, mate, look, it's a great performance and a great result, but it's only job half done. So it might rank as a higher European night if we sort of were to go a little bit further in this competition. Obviously, you do you rank it quite highly? Well, again, I'm taking the game in isolation. Of course, the more epic nights are the ones where you turn it around in the second leg or you're behind. I mean, if this was a second leg and we needed to win 1-0 and we did it, it's a different... I think there's a different emphasis on it. But in terms of isolation, mate, I think the reason why it didn't get as much hype is because Chelsea are probably under the radar in the sense that for the first time probably in our era under Abambridge playing Atletico Madrid, we probably weren't the favourites. Well, we certainly weren't the favourites in this match. Whereas in years gone by, I think Chelsea in most European ties in the last 16 have been. So I think that's probably why people aren't that excited by it. But in terms, yeah, mate, we just beat Atletico Madrid, who are top of La Liga, you know, 1-0 away from home. And you go on about the Champions League record, which is poor, evidently. But this season, mate, Frank Lampard nearly set the record for six straight wins in the group stage, which was nearly achieved after, but just lost, uh, sorry, drew the last game of the group. Um, I think it was one all at home to Krasnodar, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that is correct. So, yeah, five wins and a draw, but still an unbelievable record. And now we've just gone on one one nil away in Spain. And, you know, if you top that with the 4-0 uh, 
winning Sevilla. I mean, unbelievable, really, this season in the Champions League. So people say we haven't got a chance, mate. But I mean, the record this season has been unbelievable. So I do rank it quite highly. Um, we've had some tough games against Atletico Madrid. I actually watched something before we stream this episode, just like the kind of big five meetings. And we we beat them under Conte in the last minute when Batshuayi scored a last minute winner away. I remember Aguero scoring a double against us when he was still playing for Atletico when we lost 2-1. We've had some big games, big clashes against Atletico Madrid in years gone by, actually. Um, but I was I was surprised. And I want to discuss now, I want to have another positive bit of moment here in the episode where we talk about Olivier Giroud because... One thing that's frustrated me as a Chelsea fan is the constant change every game of the forward line. Because I think everyone knows that probably Giroud is the man to start. Now, he probably saved his legs for this match and he certainly didn't disappoint. I mean, what a goal that was. In terms of ranking where that goal is, I mean, that's got to be right up there. And Giroud's probably with the scorpion kick he scored against, um, I think it was against Norwich maybe, when he was at Arsenal. Don't know. That could be. That could be incorrect. But, I mean, Olivier Giroud, talk to me about him and his influence at the club because he is so underrated as a striker and once again comes up trumps and just, you know, fantastic performance last night from him. Yeah, look, to think, mate, that we almost lost him um, in January in Lampard's first season. I mean, I'd hate to think what would have happened then if if we'd allowed him to slip out the door to Serie A on a free uh, we would have been in big trouble. I mean, we, we probably wouldn't have even been in the Champions League this season without his contribution at the back end of um, the back end of uh, Lampard's first season. So, I think we've got a lot to be thankful for for him. I do think he's just so criminally underrated. Um, you look at his goal scoring record, the way he affects games when he comes on. He's not one of those strikers that's going to get you twenty league goals a season. Is going to fire you to the league title. We he isn't. He isn't one of those. He never really has been. He's one of those that can, you know, influence a game from the bench and pop up with moments of brilliance and brings other players into the into, into the mix, you know, with hold with his hold-up play. So for me, mate, he's an invaluable member of the squad. And I think I've mentioned it on a previous episode. I think when is when it comes to moving on, I mean it's possible I mean his contract's up in the summer. So I don't know at 34 years of age if we're if we're going to offer him a new deal. But before I go any further, mate, do you think we should offer him a new deal? Um, he's 34 now. Shouldn't we should offer him a new deal for next season? I, I would personally like to see him stay for another year. I, I'm like you, mate. I I think he's a really valuable asset in terms of a, the squad long-term game. I mean, with his age and everything, he's not going to be a week-in, week-out starter who gets you 20-plus goals, as he said. But in terms of what he adds to a squad in terms of value... There's probably no one else as a backup better to come on for, even if he save his legs for just, you know, and say, right, well, he's probably going to start maybe 15 games in a season, but those games he's going to have an influence on. And he offers us something different that we don't have. I think Frank Lampard, when he got the signings in, was trying to go with a very young, fresh, attacking, counter-attacking team that just could just frighten people with pace, kind of similar to what City do with their front three. And, but I, we've said it before, I think we said it on last week's episode where we kind of love, I think Chelsea have always been in favour of a kind of target man type striker. Um, And again, it didn't disappoint last night. So I think he should be offered the extension if it's given. 
But I don't know. The thing is with the older players, it can take one, one in, even a minor injury that's not considered serious, but at that age can become a major problem that just, even if they lose, a, you know, he's not blessed with pace, but even if they lose a little bit of sharpness, it can have a huge impact on their overall performance. But, you know, if we were to get rid of him tomorrow, I don't see who else we can bring in for the same price that we got him for, for just what he offers. So I would like to see it personally. Yeah, I think I think we are going to have a bit of a problem when it comes to replacing him because there's not many strikers around like him, that, that sort of target man sort of player that, that offers what he does. And I think it's important to have a good blend of centre-forwards in the squad. So it'll be interesting to see when he does move on, um, what sort of what we do to replace him. Do we go with someone diff- completely different or do we go with a, with a similar type of striker? But he has been, as I've said, he has been invaluable to our to our sort of most sort of our recent success. And without him, we, as I said, we wouldn't be in we wouldn't be in the Champions League this season. But I just find it sort of it's, it's quite ironic how our most sort of our currently our best centre forward is a thirty four year old that we almost let out the door, um, considering all the money we've spent on attacking players. It's kind of still him that's that's kind of bailing us out, as it were. But yeah, I'm not sure if he will get the new deal. Uh, as you say, mate, purely based on the fact that like he'll be 35 going into next season. Do you sort of roll the dice on that? You know, one little injury and it's kind of curtains, really. But yeah, mate, he's been invaluable to us. And I think in the big games now, it's clear that, that he has to start and he probably is our number one choice at, at the top end of the pitch. Do you think that he should should be starting most weeks or do you think it's a case of kind of like horses for courses and choosing him for certain games that we might need his kind of influence? I think that's exactly what I like about Thomas Tuchel so far and his approach to squad rotation because I actually think you get the best out of Olivier Giroud with that kind of horses for courses approach by just resting him and giving him those, those pocket games for 90 minutes where whether it's a big game or not, just playing him for that 90 minutes, starting him, but he has that one one or two match rest in between. I think he could burn out quite quickly. Uh, but then again, we're not scoring many goals. So there's an argument to be had whether, well, you just surely you just play the striker who's on form. So if he's going to score a bicycle kick away against one of the toughest sides in Europe, why shouldn't he start the next domestic game? But... I've said to you and others, you know, on social media when I've been watching games, I think Chelsea do want to go down a different type of way of playing in terms of playing the ball on the deck, trying to be a kind of counter-attacking fast team. So, and I don't think he fits that mould. And we also can't really, I mean, we could for the short term, but we can't really base our our whole philosophy on a player that, like you said, mate, he could be out the door in the summer. So I think Tuchel needs to think carefully about how he's building the team in for the long term whilst still embedding Giroud and having him as a vital part of the squad but I think that's where you've got to also give credit to Giroud because he's been the he's been the perfect professional in the sense that he hasn't just moaned on the bench even though he's come off you know come on and scored goals and been the better better out the, the three strikers at the at the club he's just got on with his business quietly you know and then offered nights like last night where he you know he just comes on doesn't make a fuss Again, didn't really create anything other than that, but then had the ability to just, the imagination to just come up with something out of nowhere, get the good contact and just, 
you know, something that we said just before we went on air that Tammy, Abram and, and Werner just simply wouldn't do. So I think with that, you get that experience where he's just an utmost professional. So yeah, I would agree with the one extension. And I think going forward, he's probably still not going to be the starting man week in, week out, but valuable player to the squad. Speaking of players, Charlie, and before we discuss our kind of uh, expectations going into the second leg, I want to discuss a major one in the week, which was Callum Hudson-Odoi, who of course came on in the the, the one-all draw away at Southampton, only to be taken off just over 30 minutes later. Um, and it became evident in the post-match press conference that he wasn't happy with things off the ball, wasn't happy with the energy. He made a very vague kind of few comments. So we're not specifically sure what he wasn't happy with. But surprisingly, he started last night and again was quite a big uh, influence on the game. So what were your thoughts about the whole approach from Thomas Tuchel to have the bravery really to take off someone that he just brought on in a game where there were a lot of other players that weren't performing to the levels required? I just wanted to get your thoughts on that interesting approach because it was quite bold, something that Mourinho would probably do. Yeah, look... um... I think it was it was bold. And I have to say, what I do like about Tuchel um, and sort of early impressions is that, you know, he's got a set of bollocks. He's not afraid to to make big decisions. You know, he's managed big, big players, big personalities and big dressing rooms. You know, if you can manage that PSG dressing room, I think you're I think you're on onto something in terms of being able to manage other dressing rooms. I think that's probably one of the hardest dressing rooms to manage. Um but, you know, when Hudson Odoi came on at half time, um, obviously I wasn't watching him, like just focusing on him, but I didn't particularly see anything wrong that he did. Um, but obviously, we don't know what instructions he's been given um, to, 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 go and, to go and carry out on the pitch. Look, he gave the ball away a few times, but like, he wasn't walking after it. He was like sprinting back after it, after he'd given it away and stuff. So I was a little bit surprised to see him taken off and. I initially thought it might have been an injury, but then obviously afterwards, his um, in his conference, he obviously said that he he wasn't happy with his effort levels and attitude sort of off the ball and stuff. And credit to him, I think like making a decision like that either goes one of two ways. You either you obviously kind of humiliate the player a little bit, and it either gets a reaction out of him and he he, he moves on and. Is, is better or it just goes a complete opposite way. And I think Tuchel really rates Callum Hudson-Odoi. It's like he features in every game under him so far, starting most of them. And I wasn't surprised to see him in the lineup last night. I think he was just kind of sending a message to perhaps Callum and everyone else in the squad that these are the standards. And if you don't adhere to them, I don't care if you've only just come on, I'll take you off again. And as a sub, when you come on, you've got to impact the game. Otherwise you'll be off. So yeah, I mean, I don't think we should read too much into it. I think it was just him, as I said, sending a bit of a message to the team about, about standards. And I think perhaps trying to get a little bit more out of out of Callum Hudson-Odoi, because I think he really rates him. And he's a talented boy as well, who's been an integral part to the Tuchel reign so far. Do you, do you see it any differently? No, I think you're spot on there, mate. I think sometimes you need to give tough love to those certain players. And I think... In hindsight, he's probably done it because he rates him so highly. Whereas I think when people were initially analysing it, they probably thought, shit, this is the end of his career because at Chelsea because he's obviously not liked what he's seen. He's He's been brave enough to take someone off that he's just brought on 
in 30 minutes when, you know, and Hudson Adoy again dealt with it really well because he could have kicked off a fuss and said in a an interview, he could have said, well, other players played badly. So why was I, you know, I think the Sunday supplement actually referred it to um, the documentary where Danny Rose was kind of having a go at Mourinho saying, well, why aren't I picked? And when you when you took me off, why, you know, there's other defenders who are not playing well. He could have easily gone down that route, but he didn't. Accepted it for what it was, you know, came off gracefully. And, you know, now he's he's been given the kind of the trust to start in a huge European night. And again, didn't disappoint. And I think it was just a, a tough love situation, which I like. And I like the fact that Tuchel had the bollocks. Because like we said, I think probably one of the things that went against Frank was it was very kind of, he would stick to one idea. And if it didn't go well, worst case scenario, he would just bring on a like-for-like substitution and wouldn't wouldn't even dare to change anything more than an hour in, which was quite evident throughout his reign. So I like that from manager. I like the fact that he clearly didn't like something and, and wanted to change it. Another another few players I just wanted to mention, Charlie, that we haven't really discussed in recent times on the episode are players. I'm just going to mention a few here and get your thoughts. Uh, performances from N'Golo Kante recently. He's been in and out the side. Yes, he was injured, but Again, made a little cameo appearance last night, but again, wasn't favoured for the starting selection. Uh, another surprising one that we met, we, we were discussing just before we came on air was uh, Christian Pulisic, who's just been a bit of a shadow of himself recently. I don't quite know what's happening there. So just elaborate on those two players for me, mate, because, you know, at the back end of last season, he was, you know, Christian Pulisic, for an example, was probably the closest thing we had to replacing Eden Hazard and, and the terms of how he plays. And, you know, and N'Golo Kante, since he's arrived at the club, has pretty much been penciled in as one of the first names on the team sheet. And now he's not getting a look in. So what's what's happening there? Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, mate. As you say, like, it was hard to imagine upon Kante's arrival, not seeing, unless he was injured, not seeing a Chelsea side with him in the lineup. As you said, mate, it would have been the first name on the team sheet. But this isn't really a, too much of a surprise because... In the last sort of year to 18 months, I'd say, I know he set his standards very, very high, but his performances have been on the decline. And I know you're going to get that a little bit anyway, because you can't keep performing over a long period of time, sort of to that level, unless you're sort of like a Messi or or Ronaldo as such. But yeah, it's been interesting to see. I don't think it's helped him that he's been tried out in different positions, you know, a little bit further forward under Maurizio Sarri and and Lampard. And then I don't think that's helped him. And then obviously when Tuchel came in, he was injured for a bit. Um, He wasn't fully fit. So he was like on the bench and stuff. But arguably, I mean, I know we're not massive fans of the Jorginho Kovacic sort of pivot in midfield, but, you know, there's no point changing something if it's working. And the fact is, mate, with those two in there, it, it seems to be working and Kante isn't a bad option to have from, from, from the bench. I just think he's kind of, his form's not as good as it it was, but you know, I thought, but then again, having said that against Southampton, he was outstanding. So it's kind of, I think he's maybe just lacking a bit of consistency, maybe a little bit of confidence. I mean, what, what, before I go on to Christian Pulisic, what, what do you sort of think about Kante? Do you just think he's going for a bit of a lack of confidence or do you think it's perhaps, maybe winding down to the end of his Chelsea career, maybe. I don't know. I've spoken to a few people about this and I, I can't decide whether it's he's past his best or whether he's just going through a bad patch. I mean, all players do go through bad patches and in fairness to Kante, we haven't really seen him bad patches. We've seen isolated games where 
he's probably not been up to scratch, but got to give him leeway. I mean, he's been so influential to us, won titles. You know, he's obviously the best in his position when he wants to be. And I think it might just be whether he's being asked to do something completely different to what Frank was asking him and just adapting that way. And sometimes when you're in and out of a side in the position particularly that he plays, I think it is difficult sometimes to settle um, and to get, you know, going as 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 professional and as amazing as he is. Some players need that starting. I mean, a great casing point would probably be anyone in the back four. You know, if you take out a centre-half, it's very, very difficult to come in and play the odd game or, or the odd minutes and settle in quickly. So maybe it's just a case of that. But I think he probably, from recent performances, doesn't deserve to start. And as much as we criticise Jorginho and Kovacic for their lack of creativity in the middle of the park, we, we again, we discussed it just a minute ago, mate, that they don't give away the ball. Um, and although they probably lack that sprint speed and that intensity that Kante's got, even when Kante came on last night, I did see him kind of a few heavy touches uh, and just giving away the ball a bit needlessly, which I don't think you can afford, certainly in games like that. So I don't know. Any time will tell, mate. Um, and on the dom- before we just dis- before we discuss um, the domestic matters with the, with the Saints game that we'll we'll just we'll just touch on briefly. Let's get your thoughts now that will probably completely change now, or have they for the second leg against Atletico Madrid at Stamford Bridge? I mean, have your opinions changed at all? Do you think calm down, don't get too excited? It's still a long way away before we have both feet into the last eight. Look, I think. Look, with, with, with the way Champions League is now, in sort of three weeks between between the, uh, the first leg and the second leg, a lot can change in three weeks. Obviously, we're riding a, 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 the crest of the wave here in terms of a good bit of form, unbeaten since Tuchel came in. But we've got a lot of tough games coming up. So, you know, in three weeks' time, the situation could be completely different. You know, we might have lost a couple of games and you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, look, I think we're in a strong position after last night. Um, what I will say is a big blow. I know we've got is, is I know Jorginho's out, but obviously Kante can slot in, so that's not as big a problem. But the big blow is Mason Mount missing the second leg. Um, he's been for all the money we've spent on attacking players, he's been our standout performer. And you know, I, I, I was a little bit critical of him a few episodes back, but maybe maybe he was listening because he's he's added, he's added a lot more to his game in the last few weeks. I think it's helped him moving further up the pitch. I think under Lampard, he was deployed more as an eight rather than under Tuchel, he's like more of a 10. And his influence further up the pitch is, you know, is invaluable for us at the moment. And as I said, he's the only one that looks like doing anything. So he's going to be a big miss. But then equally, we have got the squad depth. I think I was saying to you earlier, mate, um, before we came on, that look at the players we bought on last night. Pulisic, Zayech, Havertz, Reese James, and Golo Kante, that's all off the bench. Like the, Our strength and depth in the squad, I know they're not all playing that well, but the strength and depth, it's an, it's an embarrassment of riches. I know it's not quite like Manchester City, but we've got one of the best squads in, in, in the league. So I think we should be able to cope, hopefully, with, with, with that loss. Um, but again, it's a big opportunity for someone else to step up. Maybe Kai Havertz, Christian Pulisic, etc. Um, but second leg... I fancy we've got look, we've got a chance for sure. Um, we've given ourselves a good, a good solid foundation from that first leg. As I said, the loss of Mount's going to be could be a problem. It, well, it's going to be a problem, um, and I don't expect Atletico Madrid to be so bad again. 
you know, the attacking players, they've got Suarez, João Felix, Thomas Lamar, players like that. You wouldn't expect them to not register an effort on target again. Um, I think it'll be a different sort of game because Atletico Madrid have got to score. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to go for it a bit more. And that could suit us, perhaps, um, with them going for it. We might be able to hit them on the counter-attack with a few with a few um, opportunities. But I'm, I'm not like I'm more confident than I was, but I still think it's I still think it's a really tough ask. But I think we could I think we're gonna nip through, but um it could easily go the other way. What 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 are your thoughts? Yeah, mate, I think one thing we've learned this season is that it's very unpredictable across the board. So it doesn't matter how well we play or how badly we play, I wouldn't I I wouldn't get too excited. I mean I am excited and I'm certainly more optimistic now. And I think we will just about see it through. But, I mean, if Atletico almost have to say, well, that game was was poor and surely they're only going to get better for the second leg. And I'd be very surprised if, if they didn't. I mean, if they had a similar performance than they did last night at the bridge, I'd be very surprised. So, listen, are we going to manage to keep Suarez quiet again? Are they going to... They're certainly going to come out, like you said, mate. They're going to have to. So... That could play in our favour, and I think it will do, which is why I think we'll still score at the bridge, which probably just gives us enough. But listen, we're not that excited about this whole competition just because I don't think, if we're being completely honest, we're going to go... I mean, we didn't expect to go past the last 16, but even if we do, I don't... Have they done the the quarterfinal draw as well? Do they do that like they do with no, the FA Cup? No, no, it's normally um, this round, and then I think they draw quarters and semis together. Right. Um, so we, yeah. So we don't know who we're going to play next if we do, do get through. Do, so. do, you, do you do you think, mate? And this might be a ridiculous question, but if we got, if we got past Atletico Madrid, do you think we could actually go all the way? <laughs> mate, I'd love to, but this is what I say all the time. I mean, regardless, we we've we've been further in this competition when. In other years, where we absolutely were one of the best sides in Europe, we didn't. So, I think, regardless of how big the competition's hyped, it's not necessarily the best team that always wins it, and it's not. Bayern Munich were probably very much the best team in Europe last season, um, but then you do get odd ones, don't you? Like, I'm trying to think. Were Atletico one of the best sides in Europe when they got to the final? Were Juve? I don't know. I know Real Madrid won it three years in a row. They probably were. Barca have done it a few times, but we certainly weren't one of the best sides in Europe when we got to the final against Bayern. So, mate, anything's possible. And if you get a favourable draw, you really don't know. You just don't know, do you? And I still think, on paper, we've still got a very dangerous side that can cope. There, you know, there are a lot of teams in this draw this season that aren't coping that well. I mean, Barcelona going out to PSG, which looks like it's not over yet, but that would be a big one because I'd probably, over two legs, I'd probably prefer to play PSG. Maybe maybe that's not a consensus for everyone because probably people say now that PSG are more mentally equipped now and Barca are on the, on the decline. But, mate, I think we... Why not? Why couldn't we go all the way? I mean, it, you've got to hope for something. And as a fan, you can only play what's in front of you and just hope for the best. So what, what about you, mate? Do you think we could we could get to the final? I mean, who else is out there? City? Look, I think we obviously don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We're not through We're not through this yet. But say we were to get through, I think 
a lot of it depends on the draw. Like with the FA Cup, you know, we're we're in the quarterfinals and we've got we haven't we haven't played a Premier League side. And obviously, we've got Premier League side in the quarterfinals, so we've got the bottom of, bottom of the table. So basically, you're looking at it, and we could have we could make the semi-finals without playing anyone decent. I know there's like no bad teams in the Champions League, but at the same time, you get sort of a bit more of a favourable draw. Say we were to get through this round and you sort you start looking at it and you think, well, Dortmund are probably going to beat Sevilla. Um, so they, they'll go through. Um, it's like, And you get someone like a Dortmund, maybe. Like, not a bad side, but probably one of the, the weaker sides left in the in the competition. You, you just you just never know. Look, we're, it's a long way off. But I think if we, you know, got through this tie and you get a favourable draw then once you get to the semi-finals, it's kind of like game on. But, I mean, realistically, let's be honest, I don't expect us to go any further than the quarterfinals, really. Um, but stranger things have happened than 2012 is anything to go by. Then you just never know. But to be honest, mate, I'd, I'd, I'd say no, but nev- never say never. Because the thing is, I like I always use the example of City as well. Like Everyone every year is like, oh, Man City are going to do it, got Pep Guardiola, blah, blah, blah. But they've been woeful in the Champions League in terms of like, mate, they haven't even got past. I don't even think they've even gone to the semi-finals, have they? Like, lost to Lyon, lost to Monaco, lost to Spurs. Like, and their squad is ridiculous. And everyone's saying, well, City are going to win it this year. But there's no guarantee just because they are the most informed team. As manager, of, if I was manager, I would just say, look, from this point onwards, if you get to the quarterfinals... It's five games and you don't even have to win all those five games to get to the final and to win it. So think about five league games and what you could achieve. That that's all you need to do. So it's not it's not a huge ask. But obviously Champions League history suggests that it is it is the hardest competition to win because of the quality of, of opposition you're playing. But mate, never say never. Let's let's just touch on, let's just visit. We have to go back, but let's just touch on the domestic matters. Still unbeaten, of course, under Thomas Tuchel, but Bit of a bit of a sour one to take um, away at St Mary's with the one all draw. Obviously went behind um, early on from uh, Minamino uh, and managed to equalise through the penalty spot from Mason Mount. But pretty stale performance. I mean, we won't visit it too much, but it was an opportunity missed really with the early kickoff, wasn't it, Charlie? Considering that we could have gone within a point of Manchester United in seconds, and then we ended up not really taking advantage. So it was a bit of a nasty one to take which was made all the sweeter of course what happened last night but just give a brief overview of that one mate yeah look mate I think it was a it followed a familiar pattern in Thomas Tuchel games um it was the you know we dominated we had a lot of possession but again you know we're really good in two thirds of the pitch and then the final third let us down big time we didn't really create anything decision making was poor and there was just a lack of quality in that last third and the worrying thing was that we only got we only got back into the game through a penalty, and then after that, we didn't really look like going on to win it. So, look, it's been positive under Tuchel, but what I will say is that a sl- maybe a small concern, not a massive concern, because we're still winning games and we've not lost, so you can't be too critical. But one thing that seems to be a recurring theme under him is the fact that we're not clinical in the final third, and we don't create a lot of chances, and we don't score many goals. I mean, I don't think we've scored more than two goals since he's in a game since he's since he's been here, and you know that, that's perhaps a little bit of a concern that, our, that we're not scoring many goals. But all in all, mate, yes, a disappointing result. The performance wasn't bad; it was just a disappointing result. 
Um, and given the, the way the other results went uh, that weekend, it was obviously disappointing not to, you know, get a few more points ahead of Liverpool and, you know, to, to lose a bit of ground on United and Leicester and West Ham as well. But, I mean, you can't complain too much. We're, we're going to drop points. We're not going to win every game. So, yes, disappointing. Not The performance wasn't bad, but disappointing in terms of not being able to, not being clinical enough and losing a bit of ground in the race for the top four. Yeah, currently sit fifth at the moment. Obviously, we had that chance to, to close the gap, but we sit on 43 points. Just two points outside the top four at the moment with West Ham fourth. And you've got Leicester third with 49 points, level on points uh, with Manchester United in second, but they've got a superior goal difference. Then obviously Manchester City out on their own, 10 points clear. Pretty pivotal moment in the season for us, Charlie, with big games coming up. We've got Manchester United on Sunday. And we've obviously got the return leg of Atletico Madrid. I mean, we've got some big games coming up. We, we mentioned as well that we've got Liverpool coming up as well. And I think we've got, is it Leeds United as well? Um, yeah, and, and, and Everton. And Everton. So, I mean, I put a little poll up on the on the Blues Brothers um, story about how many points were would we realistically expect and what would we want from those games. So let's get your points out of those ones. I mean, if we've got Manchester, say we've got Manchester United, Liverpool, Everton and Leeds, how many points would you like out of those and how many realistically are we going to get? Mate, I, honestly, out of those four games... I think we need nine points. I think we need three wins. Um, Who are we losing to I think, those three? I'll probably say we'll, we'll lose to United or Liverpool. Um, and then we should be able to beat Everton and, and Leeds. But again, there's no givens. I mean, Leeds gave us a bit of a game at the bridge. We've got them away, so that's going to be a little bit tougher. Everton beat us. They're in they're in quite good form, and they seem to be again another side that seems to be a lot better on on the road than they are at Goodison. Um, and United, you just don't know what's going to turn up with them. It could be a really good performance. They could be shocking. But yeah, I think nine points. We need to be aiming for nine points. I don't think we can afford to lose two of those games. Really, with how close everything is for the top four. How many points do you see us getting? Do you think we can we can win them all, or do you think realistically we're probably going to lose maybe one and a couple of draws? I think if we were to get through this stage unbeaten, I think that would be remarkable, really, because there's no reason why. Again, we can't, but I can't see us not. We've got to be losing at least one of those games. Um, which one? <sighs> I mean, Liverpool in a bit of free fall at the moment, but I still, our recent record against Liverpool hasn't been great, home or away. So I'd probably say if we were going to lose to anyone, it'd be them. I think I favour us at home against Manchester United just because, again, of the record. I mean, records are there to be broken and you can't read too much into heads and heads all the rest of it because every game's different. But I still feel Manchester United are more to get out because they leak a lot of goals. I still don't think Liverpool leak that many goals. I just think they're struggling to score themselves with the front three, not knocking on the door. Uh, so I'd probably say Liverpool are the ones I'd expect to beat Leeds and Everton, but we we don't tend to do very well against Everton either. So I don't know. This is going to be a very big test for Thomas Tuchel in terms of we've seen one big result happen last night that we weren't expecting. So long may it continue in terms of not uh, expecting results that come off. But I agree, mate, because we're playing teams that are all in and around us pretty much. I think we've, we've got to beat those sides just to give us a bit of a, 
a gap. Um, but then there's no guarantee that these teams like Manchester United, Leicester and West Ham are going to continue staying in that top four bracket. So, listen, I still think there's a long way to go in this season. And other Manchester City have pretty much nailed on their place. I think the rest of the positions, second, third, fourth, fifth, are all, are all up for grabs, really, mate. So uh, it'll be very interesting. Um, in terms of football topics, I wanted to just bring up a few that have been circulating around. Um, first of all, just noting on Sky Sports, I know we spoke to Dave about the um, the SPL and about Rangers and Steven Gerrard. Um, and another big character has gone from the SPL, which is um, Neil Lennon, of course, has been axed from, from Celtic. What do you make of that and um, a replacement, possible replacement? Because there's been a lot of talk also um, about Thierry Henry possibly coming into a job in Britain of some sort. So could you see maybe him going to Celtic possibly, or is it still going to be Bournemouth that he's heavily circulated with? Well, look, I'm not, I have to say, I don't follow Scottish football that much because it's shit, but um, <laughs> I think the, the, I think the Neil Lennon uh, resigning or sacking, however they've put it, it was inevitable. Um, the performances have been poor. They're miles off the pace. They did terribly in Europe. So it was kind of like, it was obviously going to happen. I think now they've got a big decision to make with what sort of route they go down as manager. Like, obviously, I think that you've se- I've seen replacements. You know, Eddie Howe seems to be kind of the the favourite or the one who's heavily linked with it. I think it'd be a great job for him. You know, he I think he's a good manager, and that'll be that sort of next step up in his managerial career. Because realistically, like, he's done amazing at Bournemouth, and he's only really managed at Burnley as well for like a season. And he went back to Bournemouth, so I think it's time for him to like spread his wings and sort of ma- operate at a higher level get some exposure to European football and Celtic is kind of a rebuild job at the moment. So I think it would be a great job for him. I mean, there's possibility of Frank Lampard. Again, I don't know if they'd go for him or if it's the right sort of job for him. I'd probably suggest it. It would be a good job for him to go for, but whether they'd, whether he'd want it and whether they'd offer it to him, are obviously key questions in, in, in that one. Um, in terms of Thierry Henry, I don't think Celtic would go for him. Obviously been linked with Bournemouth. That hasn't happened just yet. Um, they've obviously appointed Jonathan Woodgate to the end of the season. So I presume they're going to look at addressing that next season. Um, I don't know if that means Henri has rejected it or they're just waiting to the end of the season, sort of some sort of agreement with Toronto. Maybe I, I'm, I'm I'm not too sure. But for Celtic, I'd probably say Eddie Howe. But then you look at player, other names I've seen linked. Rafa Benitez is out of a job. Um, and... So even Roberto Martinez has been linked with it, but I don't see why he'd leave the Belgium national side to go and manage Celtic. That would be a slightly odd one. Who, who do you think should uh, should should go for it then? God, mate, I don't know. Again, like you, I think it's absolute shit Scottish football, so I don't really follow it. I couldn't care less that he's been he's gone, whether he's resigned or sacked or whatever. That's why I still think the whole Gerrard situation is like, well, okay, he's doing great, but let's be honest, like there's only one of two sides that are going to win that league or do well. So you've kind of got a 50-50 chance who's going to do it. Um, I don't know. I'm ex- I was excited by the prospect of Thierry Henry coming into English football. I personally think that the Bournemouth job's probably not right for him, which is why I like the appointment of Jonathan Woodgate for the rest of the season. I think he'll probably end up keeping that job and that Henry might have missed out. I just... I. Th- I I don't know where to go in terms for for Omri um, because I, I haven't been that convinced by his management um, in the MLS. Um, I've actually watched a few games 
of was it was it in Montreal? He was he's at Montreal. Yeah, I think he's at Montreal Impact. Yeah, and I've watched a few of the games. I actually like how he manages in the sense of um, I've seen a lot of like clips put together. He's very vocal, demands a lot of his players on and off the pitch. I think everyone's seen that one where he he's very about manners and asked one of those players after the press conference to tuck his chair in. Have you seen that, mate? Yeah, that was when he was at Monaco. Yeah, so like things like that, I actually really rate, even though they're very like very small things. I I like that from a manager. I like the fact that he expects standards on and off the pitch from players. Um, But I think he's got a long way to go in terms of management. And it's always a danger of great players don't necessarily make great managers. And I think he would end up getting frustrated with a lot of players just because of how good he was as a footballer. Sometimes very hard to coach players that simply just don't have that. I don't think he's going to be able to ever have a player that matches the levels that he could have. So if he's trying to coach a striker, I think he would get frustrated very quickly at the fact that they just can't do what he did. So I think that's the real worry. I think sometimes some of the best managers are the ones that weren't great footballers, like someone like Jurgen Klopp, because he has nothing to compare it to in his own career. So... In a way, I think that's probably what Frank Lampard struggled with as well. In a way, that's why he probably had his arm over Mason Mount because he probably saw a little bit of what he was like. But I, I don't know. I think a job in the championship would be a bit of a disaster for Omri personally. But um, yeah, mate, I don't know if there's any other things you want to bring in other than the questions, mate. What, it's been and, a pretty. And what, and what, what about Celtic? Who do you think's going to get that? Celtic job. I honestly, I haven't seen who's who's favourite for it, but. Um, I mean, I you're quite. You're a big. You're a big. Fa- you're a big fan of Eddie Howe, aren't you? So, I mean, I I think it'd be I a great am. job for him. Yeah, I would just. Well, personally, I'd just like to see Eddie Howe stay in English football. I think he's got more to offer than just go to Celtic. I think it's a bit of a cop out going there, but it's a hard one, mate. I don't know who's honestly available to take that job. Who they want in terms of a, a person. Um, it's usually quite a big, bold character. Whether they've got um, who, who's like they, they usually go with like ex legends a lot, don't they? So I don't know if they've well, got they had, anyone well, I mean, else. They had, I mean, they had Brendan Rogers before Neil Lennon. I yeah, mean, yeah. He, he, did, he did a great job there. I mean, look, whatever you think of Scottish football, Celtic's a massive football club, and, it, and it's a huge job. I think it's a great one for the CV just to go up there, get some uh, experience in European football, and just bang some trophies on the CV. Definitely. I, I I do agree with that. And I think that's what you said about um, Pochettino. I mean, he's already got a trophy, a PSG, huge club, whichever way, whether you like them or don't. Um, and it's a good way to build his confidence up at a, where he hasn't got a trophy. So yeah, only time will tell, mate, but that would be interesting. So I don't know if you've got anything else to report really, Charlie. It's a bit of a whistle-stop tour, but... Um, I'm happy for the questions, unless you've got anything else. I mean, there are other sporting Mate, stories. I think we should just uh, we should preview the United game quickly, just like get some score predictions. What do you like, sort of lineup wise? What are you expecting to see? Yeah, of course, Manchester United. Um, I try and guess the lineup every week, and I don't seem to get. I'm not far off, but there seems to be always one or two bold changes. So. If Silver's fit, I don't know if Silver's fit or not, but if he is, I expect him to come back in for Christiansen. Um, if not, then I expect the same back four. Um, and I would include Azapilicueta in that. I think 
for the big games, I like Azapilicueta playing um, in front of Reese James just because I think that experienced head, that that voice on the pitch. He is our club captain. Um, tends to do quite well in the big game, so I would have him. Um, it probably will be Jorginho and Kovacic again in that hole, even though I don't like that. Um, who would I have up top is the big question again. Um, some people might say that's ridiculous because of how Giroud played last night, but uh, I probably would start Giroud again, but I wouldn't be surprised if he started Tammy, mate. He seems to favour Tammy for the Premier League games to start. Uh, what about you, mate? What do you think? Yeah, look, I think there's some interesting choices to make. I think if Thiago Silva's fit, then naturally I think he, he'll come back in and then most likely he'll replace Christensen. Um, and then I think the midfield's going to pick itself. I'd be surprised if Kante came back in. Um, the only thing possibly might see Reese James at full back with Hudson Odoi either benched or pushed further up the pitch. Um, and then the big decision is again at centre forward. For me, I think Giroud should start, but I wouldn't be surprised if he went with Tammy Abraham or he went with Werner through the middle with 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 someone else playing in, in one of those two ten positions. So I think the back three, Silver comes in if fit, and then possible Reese James, as I said, and then there's a decision at centre forward. But I, I would personally go with go with Giroud. Um but then this, this is gonna be a tough game, mate. Look, United are hit and miss, we know that, but they're much better away from home. I think the key is, though, to keep Fernandez quiet. If we can keep Fernandez quiet, then we should get a result. But that's obviously a big if. And they are dangerous on the break. They've got a lot of quick players. So we're going to need to be on our A game. For me, I think we want to come top four. I think we need to win this. Um, so I think we can win it. I suspect we'll probably concede I'll, I'll, I'm going to go for a 2-1 win in this one do you, do you, sh- do you sort of do you think we'll win this game <sighs> will we win this game mm. yeah I think I've, I'm going to go exactly the same mate. I'm going to I think we will concede but I think I like our chances at the bridge against Manchester United in years gone by and I think they are there for the taking. I've not, I've not been convinced all season by Manchester United. Yes, they hit a good patch of form, but really their whole performance is set on Bruno Fernandes. And if you can keep him quiet, I know Rashford will get a chance. Whether he takes it is another question. And actually, they have, in recent games, they have done all right at the bridge, to be fair. I'm just thinking back to that cup match. Um, we had a draw as well. So... I'm going to go 2-1, mate. I think exactly the same as you. I think that we'll concede, but we'll have enough to take them. But like you said, mate, it all depends on who starts up top. I know you... Well, I mean, behind closed doors, there's been a lot of slating of Tammy Abraham from you, mate. So um, I know you don't want him to start, but I keep faith in him. No, I don't. The reason why I don't want him to start, it's not nothing personal. He just isn't good enough. (laughs) How can you say that though? How can you say that when he's? Can you explain to me for the and for the viewers of the podcast? How is he not good enough when he's the top scorer at the club? Yeah, because yeah, because you have to look at the the the, the teams that he scored against. Four of his goals have come against Luton Town and Barnsley. So yes, you've still got a score, but actually in games where we sort of need someone to be an influence at the top end of the pitch in the big games, I mate, mean, you can't honestly tell me that you would have. Re- relied on him to do something if he started last night or starting in big games, you know, Man United, Tottenham games, etc. 
there's a reason why he's not started those big games under Tuchel because he doesn't do the business at the moment. I'm not saying he's he's bad, but he's not. I don't think he's good enough to be. He's someone that can start in the cup and sort of come off the bench. But in terms of influencing games, I've yet to be proved otherwise that he's good enough to sort of start in big games. Mm, that sounds like a very watered down version of what you were saying in that match against Saints. I have to say. Think yeah, the, well, uh, mate, he, well, mate, he was poor against Saints. Even Tuchel said he, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't affect the game. That's why I was subbed at half time. Yeah, but then Werner's been poor pretty much for about four or five months, and no one's well. People do say things, but he starts. Oh no, mate, we've been he- we've been heavily critical of him uh, of, of of Timo. Well, no, um, but I think we're more, I think we I don't think we have been. I think we've been we've been very positive about Werner and his play and we, we give him the benefit have, of the we, we, play. Yeah, but I think it's because obviously he's a new signing, new country, etc. Tammy's been on the books for ages and look, I, I, I'd, I'd love him to do well. I, I don't want him to not do well, but I just think he doesn't offer, like you, even you said it before, mate, he doesn't offer enough in yeah. the big games. You don't, you don't feel confident yeah. in a big in a big game if you see Tammy Abraham on on. on on the team sheet starting up top, you just you just don't feel confident in the same way Giroud was starting up top. So I think that's something that he needs to add to his game and get better at is sort of influencing big games because yeah. he just doesn't for me he doesn't do enough in those big games. But that that could come, but I think he's got to improve a lot if he wants to be at Chelsea for the long term. Well, I think one thing we do agree on is if Chelsea do go in for the summer for another striker, I think that's probably a hint that. Tammy Abraham's time at Chelsea's probably up unless he accepts that he's going to be third or fourth on the list again at the club. Because if we, you know, for argument's sake, we brought in someone like a Haaland, then you're thinking Haaland, an extension contract for Giroud, and then Timo Werner. I, I can't see Tammy getting in front of those regardless uh, of my personal opinion on Tammy. So, um, well, another player that I we haven't even mentioned. I mean, he's he's gone missing on this podcast and he's gone missing in real life. I filed a missing persons report for Kai Havertz. I, I was actually surprised that I saw him. <laughs> I, I don't actually know what he's been doing, mate. Um, we've got more chance of Madeleine McCann turning up than him. Um, so I'm absolutely shocked by that. But anyway, mate, on to the questions, I think. Yeah, mate, let's hit it. Once again, guys, thank you for sending the questions in. Really appreciate it. But it's a great one to kick things off. Who is the most famous player you have got a photo with? Most famous player? That's quite a good question. Um, oh, I mean, for me, it's probably one of the moments where I was probably starstruck was Thierry Omri, I'd probably say. Um, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a really shit photo because I literally had to... <laughs> I literally had to like bombard my way through loads of Arsenal fans and not being an Arsenal fan, obviously. Um, I was at an away match at the Emirates. Uh, I think the game was nil-nil when we actually went on to win the league that year and we got the point. Um, but he came out of the studio and um, yeah, managed to get the shittest selfie ever. Because I think my hand was just, my hand was just shaking, mate. Because I, I don't think, I, and I was quite older by that point, but I never, I'm not usually ever starstruck. I mean, with you, mate, we, we've been to plenty of games at the bridge where we've stayed on after and we've kind of got snaps of people in cars, but I've been quite calm. But in that sense, mate, you just know when you're in the presence of someone who's just unbelievable. So I'd have to, I'd probably have to say that. How about you, yeah, mate? mate? Mate, what a legend. Oh, I can imagine you absolutely shitting it with your phone trying to get trying to get the snap. <laughs> it's honestly the shittest, it's the shittest photo game. 
<laughs> uh, mate, for me, oh, mate, I'm trying to remember which footballers I've met. I mean, I'll probably say when we went to the Carling Cup final, what we lost on pens when we saw Joe Cole before the game. I'll probably say, oh, mate. Probably say that that is probably the most famous player I've met. Although when I've been on Soccer AM, not with you, but a, a time before, um, I did meet Ray Parler as well, who was actually a top player in his day. So I'll probably say, yeah, the Joe Romford Cole. Pen. Yeah, Joe Cole, then followed by the Romford Pele. We've met some cracking uh, ones as well. Like we've met Belletti. Like, yeah. uh, you've, met a lot of, you've met a lot of sports people recently that are iconic, mate. Tyson Fury. David Hay. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But yeah, in terms of footballers, mate, I've, I can't yeah. compete with Henri. I've got, yeah, mate, a Joe Cole or the Romford Pele for me on that one. Um, I'm still chasing the elusive Jose selfie, but I, I don't know if that's oh, going to happen or not. Jose, Frank, JT, oh, I need those snaps, but... I'll yeah, no, no, mate, mate, mate the, rel- the, the wells run dry on, on the snaps recently for obvious reasons. Hopefully once all this stuff's blown over, <laughs> mate, they'll start adding to the collection again. Um, yeah. Well, we've already touched on this one. Who should be the next manager at Celtic? I mean, I've gone with Eddie Howe, Georgie, similar. Yeah, I'll say Eddie Howe just because I think he needs to get back into football for sure. Uh, this is an interesting one. I think this has only just come in this season because I don't sort of remember seeing it in previous seasons. What are your thoughts on the offside flag not being raised straight away and letting play carry on? I think it's absolute nonsense, mate. I think it's, it just winds everyone up. Like Defenders get annoyed. Goalkeepers get annoyed. Managers get annoyed. I think you just need to... The only thing that would be in favour of is it is, in fairness, I think linesmen sometimes maybe put their flags up too soon and then they realise they made an error. So sometimes letting the play continue a little bit to then realise, right, you know. But I don't know if the linesmen are also fed into the VAR and they've got a microphone or what. I don't really know how it works with the officials. I know the referee is, but I don't know if the linesmen get told by the VAR, oh no, actually you're wrong there. It wasn't offside or it was. Put your flag up and then they do it. So I think it's I think it's nonsense. But what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree, mate. Look, I understand why it's there because they obviously want the attack to continue. And if a goal was to be scored, they need to check it because he could have obviously incorrectly raised offside, etc. But at the same time, I just think you're asking for a sort of a, a big injury to occur by not raising the flag straight away. Because imagine, you know, you haven't raised the flag, it's offside, it carries on and someone does like an ACL or something like that. You know, it's it's a, it's a it's a tough balance to strike. I understand kind of why it's there, but it's a bit stupid, really. You like you can see there's a blatant offside. There's a blatant offside, yet we're just allowing the play to carry on. I don't I don't I don't really get it. But because I mean, what, what happens? I understand why it's there, but then surely if it's so blatantly obvious, like some of them are, why are you just not putting the flag up straight away? But what happens if? Um... I, so again, I don't know what happens if uh, you know the flag's not raised and there's a tackle that say is a blatant red card. What happens then? And then the flag, obviously, then it comes up that it was offside, and therefore the play after yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I think this is obviously all all quite confusing. It's all. It's also. It's almost like those ones as well, like where you know there's a possible penalty, but the play carries on, and then like two or three minutes later they tell him to go back and look at it and he can end up having a penalty awarded and like an extra sort of three to five minutes of play has already elapsed since the incident. 
Yeah, I think I it's find, a bit of a knock. I find, I find that one a bit a bit irritating. Like, if you're going to check a penalty, check it straight away. Don't let play carry on and then five minutes later, oh, actually, we're going to give a penalty. It's, that, that, for me, doesn't really make they're sense. All, yeah, they're almost but, too afraid to make any sort of errors these days. So they just let everything play and then they look back at it. I mean, what I was pleased to see, um, I know you probably disagree with this decision, was uh, in the Merseyside derby at the weekend that the referee going to the screen and actually sticking with his decision because all too often you see the ref go over and they and they just like they bottle it and just change their decision even if they probably think it's the right one that they made in the first place so I think it was quite good to see him stick with his original on-field decision yeah fair play I mean was that the Trent that was, one where he's tapping? yeah the Trent Trent with Calvert-Lewin I don't think it was a penalty personally that's why I disagree with it but no, fair, fair enough. But I think that, that that was nice to see because all yeah. too often you just see refs lose their bottle when they go to the screen. Mate, True. this is an no, interesting one. Will Mourinho still be at Spurs next season? I think it all kind of hangs in the balance of what they do in the two competitions left, mate. Because if he was to somehow beat Manchester City in the final of the the League Cup, that is a huge statement, regardless of maybe the size of the competition. I still regard it as a as a trophy. And to beat a team of Manchester City and stop them potentially winning the quad, that's a big one. And he would obviously have won a trophy with Spurs, which is another big one. And then obviously they, they're going strong in the Europa League, mate. So if they were to do well in that as well, it, it could go either way. He could win both of those. And then he's like, well, I've won two trophies at Spurs. Shall I go somewhere else? Or he might win nothing and think that I need to do something. I need to be successful in this job after the Manchester United debacle. So I think he will be just because I think um, Spurs, Oh, I always forget his name. Um, Daniel Levy. Daniel Levy, he's quite, to be fair to him, he is quite patient with his managerial decisions. So I don't think he would get rid of Jose Mourinho personally. Yeah, I think it's, mate, I think it's a tough one. Obviously, their league position at the moment is not, is not great and they are in free fall. You know, I think I was saying to you off air, they were top of the league in December and we're sort of end of February and they're, I think they're ninth. I know they're not, they're not a million miles off the top four, but the top four is going to be really difficult now. So, they, he needs to win a trophy, either the League Cup or the Europa League. If they were to win the Europa League, then obviously they're in the Champions League next year. And I think they'd obviously overlook the league position if they say they came eighth or ninth but won the Europa League. That would be a good season for Spurs. Um, but if he were to get no trophies and they end up coming seventh or eighth, they've got a big decision to make. Um, I know Daniel Levy's not trigger happy in getting rid of managers and he does give them time and he is quite supportive. I also think because Mourinho is on massive money at Spurs, it's going to cost them a fortune to get rid of him. So that might go into their thinking as well. But I do think if they don't win a trophy and they come sort of 7th, 8th or ninth, I think he might get sacked. That, that's, just, that's just my feeling on it. I think tr- if he delivers a trophy, it'll be there next season. No trophies and they finish outside the top four, I think he could be in trouble. But that, that that's 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 just my opinion. Um, sticking with sticking with the Spurs theme, this is a, this is a good one as well. If you were Harry Kane, would you leave Spurs in the summer? He's well, if he wants to, he's got too soon because I think he'll miss the boat 
uh, not because of form, but because his best years. I think you, you sometimes need to leave and have that brave move on your peak. Now it can it can work two ways. I mean, I watched um, that soccer box thing with Michael Owen, and very interestingly, he said something similar where he felt like he couldn't turn down Real Madrid, even though he was doing very well at Liverpool. Um, and looking back on it, he he actually did regret it slightly just because he wasn't the same player and he left something perfect to risk it. But I think with Harry Kane, he's you know he's the cap, he's he's so big for that club. Sometimes it's hard for him to detach himself away from it and be selfish. But I think he needs to if he wants to look back on his career, like you said, mate. When you look back at your career as a well, if, if you look back at it as a fan, you just think of the the days out, you know, the finals. The, the trophies and as a player you do exactly the same thing so it's down to him really mate if he wants titles and he wants trophies to look back on or whether he just wants to be at a club where he's loved but it may never come for him yeah I, I agree mate I think as you say he's got one of two routes to go down he can either go down sort of the the Shearer route where you kind of sacrifice trophies for just sort of being a club legend um, he did or, win a title with Shearer. Yeah, but that was at Blackburn, though. I mean, I'm not discrediting that, but Shearer could have gone to Man United and won. He could have won so much more, but he went to yeah. Newcastle and and they won yeah. shit all. Um, yeah. With Harry Kane, I mean, it's, uh, it's not it's not that similar. It's not similar to Gerrard in a in sense because Liverpool, Gerrard won big trophies there, and Spurs aren't really challenging for those kind of trophies. So if he's looking to, if he's got any ambition about him and wants to win big trophies, then for me, I can't see Spurs challenging for any big trophies realistically in the, in the next few years. So for me, I think he needs to leave. But I agree with you, mate. If he's going to leave, he needs to do it realistically this summer or at the absolute latest next summer because his best years will be behind him. He's a big investment. And the closer he gets to 30, teams won't really want to, to spend that sort of money on him. So, well, the question I mean, is then, Charlie, where, where does he go next, though? Well, that's the next question. Where would he go? I think he could go anywhere. Honestly, I think he could go anywhere. Where? Who would, who would, well, where? But where, yeah, but who could realistically afford him? Manchester City could afford him. Man United could <coughs> afford him. Uh, PSG could afford him. Where I would his preference be? Uh, I think if he left, mate, it depends how strong his feelings are for Tottenham. But I think he'd be great at Manchester City. I think in that side he'd slot in. He'd slot in very nicely. Um, or That's again, he might move. he might try um, something abroad. But again, it's not something that English players tend to do. Not many go abroad to play football. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. He's got a big decision to make, and I'd say this summer it needs to happen, really. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But it'd be such a waste if he just stayed at Spurs and sort of had a couple of golden boots to his name and that, and, and, and that was it. You sort of feel it was a bit of a waste. Um, yeah. oh, this is an interesting one. Uh, both of you said Fulham were a dead cert to go down. They've obviously come <laughs> into a bit of form at the right time. Can they stay up? Uh, yes, they can now. They've definitely got a chance. I mean, the great thing about football is uh, it's always a sport that aims to prove people wrong. And I think Fulham have in our case. Looked absolutely certain to go down. No chance in hell. Um, and then all of a sudden, Scott Parker, who, listen, whether I rate him as a manager or not, I certainly rate him as a an influencer. He certainly gives it everything uh, for the club. He's obviously got something about him to get them up and, you know, to 
I mean, they play, they do play good football at times, and they have got enough personnel to do it to stay up. But you know, listen, they're still not, they're still not there yet, um, and they're still struggling to win games. They've drawn, I think they've drawn the record amount of games in terms of uh, teams at this stage of the season. Um, and similar to Saints, have lost a lot of points from winning positions. They've been one nil up in games and, and not seen it out. So they probably look the strongest out of those at the moment down there. But I don't know, mate. It's still, I could equally see them in the Premier League next season as I could see them in the Championship. So, yeah, yeah. Look, they've they've got they've given themselves a big chance now um, by picking up some some crucial wins. They're going to need to pick up a few more wins as well and hope that Newcastle have some poor results. I mean, I think it could come down to the last game of the season, Fulham against Newcastle. That could be for a space in the top flight. Um, Newcastle in free fall as well at the moment. But yeah, I'm prepared to eat a slice of humble pie on that one if they they do stay up. Um, (laughs) Last couple then, mate. Can West Ham realistically finish in the top four or will they kind of fade away? They definitely can finish top four this season, just because of the way the se- the season's going. I mean, there's there's no there's no shock anymore in terms of anyone could beat anyone. Um, they've actually been quietly quite consistent, and they go under the radar because they're not the so called big name. But there's no reason why not, mate. There's no guarantee of Chelsea or Manchester United or any of any of those sides getting in the top four. So they've got just as much chance of any. It's always comes down to that kind of nitty gritty last ten games where the big sides tend to get over the line because of the experience. So it's whether they've got the bottle psychologically to say, look, we belong here and they can get the job done. I mean, you said it in a previous podcast about, you know, Spurs and everything else and Manchester United and believing whether they are good enough to like win titles. And it's the same case probably with West Ham in the top four and whether they really believe that they belong in that company, but they, they should believe because they can do it. Um, you know, they've got some great players in form at the moment and they've got a manager who seems to be getting the best out of his players. So will they do it? I think they will just finish short, but in, in a way, mate, as long as we finish in the top four, good luck to them. Yeah, look, they've got a big chance. And if this, if if any season it's going to happen, then it's, it's going to be this season. Um, I think ultimately they'll probably just fall a little bit short, um, just sort of going into the business end of the season. I'm just not sure if they've quite got enough quality to to push through, but they're, they're where they are on merit. And never say never, but I think they'll ultimately they'll fall just short. I think they'll probably finish in the in the Europa League spots, which again would be a fantastic season considering they only just kind of stayed up last year. Um, penultimate question then, mate. Will an English side win the Europa League? Obviously got United, Spurs, Leicester and Arsenal in the competition. Yeah, the law of the law of averages probably suggests that there certainly might be one in the final. Um, I, I've made I've said plenty of times, like Chelsea, the two times that we've been in it, we've won it. So I think really a minimum for an English club who is in the Champions League to start with and then goes into the Europa League should be aiming for the final as a minimum. So you'd probably then look at Manchester United um, being that side to get there. But yeah, mate, I mean Arsenal. They looked like they had a tri- uh, tricky tie against Benfica, but managed to do an okay job. So there aren't many teams in it that I wouldn't say could stop 
the English clubs from doing so. But if I wanted a team to win it from the English side, it'd be it wouldn't be the big ones. It'd probably be like I'd love someone like a Leicester to do it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal made the final just because of their kind of history with the competition. Manchester United, so definitely, mate. One of the English teams has got a chance for sure. I don't know who I actually favoured to win it when, um, well, uh, Baker, you know, one of our friends asked us. I think I said Napoli, so I'm probably going to stick with that. Yeah, no, mate, I, I agree. I think, look, realistically, you've got four English clubs left in it, four strong sides. I'd be very surprised if at least one or two of those sides, obviously draw depending, wasn't in the semi-finals and perhaps one in the final. And I agree with you, mate. I think I'd love to see a Leicester or win it, or I'd love to see Spurs win it, not because of Spurs, but just from for Mourinho. Um but yeah, no, I think there's definitely a chance. We just have to wait and see what happens. Okay, final question, mate. What are your thoughts on Ben Chilwell not getting a look in at all at the moment? Yeah, mate, that's probably that is a surprising one considering the price tag that he came with and the fact that he was again when when he first signed for the club, you probably thought he was a nailed on starter and Alonso and Emerson were probably on their way out. So he would be the one of the first names on the team sheet at the back. But we both said it, mate, that his his performances weren't awful, but they obviously weren't great either. He kind of played the averages and just would rather do things safe than be a bit more, I don't know, attacking-minded or just take a few more risks as a fullback, which I think in the modern era of football you need to do. They almost need to be wingers and, you know, support the attacking phases of play. So I'm I'm not surprised at the moment just because Alonso deserves his place starting. You know, he's, he's scoring goals. He's been a lot... Again, I think he played well at the back last night, did well getting forward. Um, listen, I think Chilwell's still got a big future at the club and will be that nailed-on left-back for us. And hopefully, if, if he could just emulate half of what Ashley Cole did at the club and just stay with us for, you know, 10-plus years, I think it'd be amazing. But it remains to be seen, mate, because there's no, there's no giving in football these days. And... Um, England, English football is blessed with left backs and full backs, but um, Ben Chilwell certainly in that conversation. And um, I don't think it's a disaster that he's not in the starting 11. And I think it's he needs to be pushed. So he needs to work for that that position. Yeah, no, well, I, I agree, mate. I think obviously with Alonso not having a look in under Lampard, the left back position was pretty much Chilwell's and no one else's. Emerson wasn't really getting a look in either. And there was no sort of pressure on Chilwell to perform well. He sort of knew even if he had like a sort of a two or three out of 10 game, he was going to play the next week anyway. Um, and with the switch in formation, um, you know, Alonso has done very well in a back three, particularly under Conte when we last won the league. And he seems very well suited to it. And he thoroughly deserves his place on merit. I think Chilwell, in the opportunities he's had under um Tuchel hasn't really done very much. He was subbed off against Wolves in the first game, didn't do a lot. And against Sheffield United, he wasn't great either. He had a nice pass to Werner in the build-up to the Mount goal, but he's been a bit underwhelming, sort of just going through the motion. So hopefully this might be a bit of a wake-up call for him. And long-term, we can see him as sort of that number one fullback that he was kind of bought in for. But as I say, there's no givens in football, mate. And maybe it might just not work out for him. I'm, I, mean, uh, I mean, I'm not saying it, that's the case, but there, there's there's a small possibility. But yeah, a valuable member of the squad. And let's just hope this is a bit of a kick up the arse for him to sort of improve his level of performance because he will get opportunities. So Alonso is not going to play every single game from now to the end of the season. So 
we just have to see what happens on that one. But that brings the questions to an end. So thanks a lot for sending those in as always. Uh, George, anything to go through before we finish up, mate? <laughs> no, I just realised I raised my hand on the chat to say that I had something to say, but I didn't. So I apologise. Oh, that's um, all right, mate. <laughs> it feels like being back in school. Um, no, as always, big thank you to everyone who's listening. Um, we've got some exciting things in the pipeline. We're, we're trying to do something with another podcast to get a watch along live going where we can kind of feed it through content through us. Um, also trying to get some good guests on the show for upcoming episodes. So stay tuned in for that. We have, we are working hard behind the scenes to do that. And just thank you for all your support. We're slowly creeping up the numbers of followers and, um, we get a lot more interaction from the things that we feed out. So just, yeah, big thank you really. Like we say, we, we, we do this cause we enjoy it. We do it for fun. So, um, yeah, we really appreciate the support. So, um, thank you yeah and we're just going to keep going i mean what episode are we on now mate we're, we're probably approaching the 30 mark now aren't we yeah mate this one's episode 28 and i echo exactly what you say mate you know big thanks to everyone who's been listening um again you know share it tell your mates leave us a review tag us in your stories if if you when when you're listening to it etc and yeah just send us any messages of anything you think we can improve or anything you want to see us add and yeah we're working on some guests as george said so again thanks for all your support and let's hope it continues so without further ado that's the end of the blues brothers podcast so thank you from myself george harris thank you from co-host charlie patrick and we will be in touch and stay tuned for another episode of the blues brothers podcast <laughs>